Hello everyone and welcome back to the Computer Vision Introduction Podcast Show. The podcast show where we talk all about everything computer vision. From the individual components of the technology, including vision, cameras and deep learning. Right through to hearing about some of the most interesting applications that companies are using at the moment. Hello and welcome everyone to the Soda.ai Computer Vision in Production Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Kelly. Today's guests are Ulrich Dillage and Killian Moser, who are both co-founders of Oculus. Uh, Ulrich and Killian, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having us, Anthony. Great to be here. Thank you, Anthony. Good to have you. So look, I, I suppose before we go too much into what Oculus are doing, why don't you just tell us a little bit about, about you two, sort of about your backgrounds and ultimately what sort of got you into computer vision? So I'll, I'll just take the start, Kilian. So as like I said, my name is uh, Uli Tillich. I initially was born in Venezuela and grew up there and went to a German school there, though. I was in the same class with Kilian. That's where we know each other from, from school initially. In Germany, I, I went to Germany for my studies. I studied uh, bioinformatics and biosystem technology and then did my PhD in officially molecular biology but it was quite uh, IT heavy as I did laboratory automation. So I worked with pipetting robots and, and optimizing laboratory flows uh, and also cooperated a little bit on um, Katja Schulz's PhD, which was, she's another one of our founders. And that's basically the starting point of the company when it comes to the computer vision. But I guess we'll, we'll go into that in a bit, give Kilian a chance to introduce himself as well. Hi, thanks, uh, Uli. Thanks, Anthony. Yeah, so I'm more on the business side of the computer vision uh, topic. And uh, well, Uli and I went to school together, so we know each other for, for quite a long time. And that was basically how, how we got together, the, the three of us, and started looking for, for a market for that technology. And then to, to segue over to the company... Basically, uh, Katya, who's who's not here with us today in this in this podcast, she's the third uh, founder. She did her PhD about automating the detection of phytoplankton in in water, and that's where a lot of the techniques uh, we use or the expertise comes from, I guess. And one of the the main issues that she saw when working on that topic was that what what was really needed was on the one hand the image recognition software that was out there uh, was way too hard to use, far too much configuration. So it would take a long time of someone who knows what they're doing to get something automated going. And also the other issue was that very often you don't have the computer vision available where you want it. So in her specific case, the ideal solution would be to take a sample at the lake and then do an image recognition on it. Uh, But that's not really possible. You have to take it to a lab and then prepare the sample, put it in a microscope, and then run your software afterwards. So that's where the main components of Oculus come from, which is doing analysis where it's needed and very quickly, which is why we've always had cloud computing at the core of the company, because that's really needed to be able to enable people to analyze everywhere, since you can basically use a mobile device. And then the the other question was, uh, how, how do you capture uh, the image? So for our first or some of our applications, we use uh, mobile microscopes, um, which are then plugged into mobile devices like phones or tablets and used for the image analysis. It's really um, really cool how you've kind of taken what would be uh, such a, 
a research focused topic and turned it into a business. I know people say that very often, but you know, you're talking real laboratory testing waters to to coming in and building a product that you know has impacted a couple of different industries at the moment. Take that. That's where you were, and now use use offer this automated expert image analysis product available on the cloud, computer vision, image recognition on demand. I suppose is is, is one way you could you could put it. Where have you seen your product most successful? What's the future and what's the goal of Oculus from here? Sure. So you summarized it very well. That basically what we do is, is automate expert image analysis. And going off from, from the PhD of, of Katja Schulze, um, we looked into uh, algae and, and water, obviously, but there's not a, a great business case there. So what we decided to start with is a yeast analysis for uh, breweries and now also wineries. That was our first field, basically to prove the technology on, on all ends and the business model as well. And this has been going very well. So this product on its own uh, could be profitable. And what we do there is basically for brewers and witness, it's very important to know the concentration and the viability. That means how many cells are alive and how many are dead of yeast. And so we enable them to do this either with an existing lab microscope, which they can retrofit, or with one of our mobile microscopes uh, to analyze their yeast. And this has been now deployed in over 40 countries for a couple of hundred customers. And it's uh, just a, a good example to show how our technology works. But it's, it's just a starting point for us. So this is a great example of how we can enable it. And there were various technological and business reasons we chose to start this. I guess on the business side, a market that is really more than large enough to support a company of our size, but also something that was, I guess, accessible to a smaller company. Because that's not always the case. You can't start with the, with the huge industries immediately. <laughs> You've got to earn your stripe somewhere. Exactly. Okay. Um, look, I suppose there's, there's two questions I, I, I want to ask from here. The, but you know, one of them is obviously, how do you know? Did you plug into this yeast analyst industry? You know, what does that look like? But also, something that we, we spoke about, we'll, we'll put in first because I, I just think it's super interesting is your, your first product, you had to uh, 3D print your own hardware in the beginning, obviously, because you just talked about it. You know, startup companies, you've got restrictions. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about this, how you were, you know, building your MVP. Yeah. Um, as, little, as little as possible. Sure. So we're really lucky in a sense that uh, 3D printing has, well, is around now and has been around for a couple of years because it really enabled us to get started in a way that would have been basically impossible 10 years earlier. So the first devices we built, I mentioned before this mobile microscope. So this is not so much at the core of the company, but it is something that enables people who want to do image recognition but don't have a laboratory or a laboratory microscope available to get started, which is the case with many of the breweries. So it's something we needed. There wasn't something available to buy. So we designed and built our own. And the, the first ones we had were actually completely multicolored hardware because we didn't have our own uh, printer. So we used some FabLab printer and we just had to use whatever filament was in there at that time. So each part had a different uh, color and looked like it was built out of Legos. And then we moved from there to our own 3D printer where we then had it all nice and black, but I was still hand soldering each device. 
Then I guess next step was we had a custom designed circuit board. So at least I didn't have to solder everything by hand anymore, but it was still 3D printed, which sometimes we never really had to delay orders, but it was a really close call sometimes because 3D printers are awesome, but they're not fast. Like you can't produce uh, 20 devices uh, in a week if you want to. There's just no way. The printing just takes several hours. Well, and now we're moving on to injection molding. So, so that's uh, in the rear view mirror. And in between, we had some, uh, I guess, smaller scale uh, molding production uh, systems in use. Yeah, it's a um, really, really cool story. Uh, things that you have to do to make things work, uh, I suppose. And then, so if we take it into the yeast analysis you know, the the field that you have gotten really successful in, you have sort of earned your name in there as an early company. So what did it look like? I suppose, first off, you know, you're talking about these breweries. I'd guess, now, maybe I'm wrong, are they are they micro breweries? Are they, are they smaller breweries? I guess you're not in, like, with the likes of Heineken and stuff like that. So we do have breweries of all sizes. Most of our customers are in the medium size or smaller size range, but that's less because our product is not useful for the bigger ones and more because very large breweries already had uh, or already have pretty strongly established quality controls for managing their yeast just because there's so much money on the line. Uh, if, if one of their batches fails, it's just way more money lost or beer lost, uh, I guess than the smaller ones. And so we are moving into the bigger ones, but it's a slower process because we have the timing is more difficult. Basically, even if there's a better product around now, which is us, than like the legacy yeast counters, let's call them, most businesses are not going to throw away something they maybe spent $20,000 or euros on five years ago or 10 years ago uh, to buy something new until it breaks. So ours is, is way more affordable and better, but the, the conversation is way easier with someone who's using a microscope and, and basically losing his sanity counting yeast cells under a microscope by hand or someone who, for various reasons, has been unable to count them at all. And it's just typically then they use dry yeast, like fresh yeast every time, which is a huge cost factor. And so the conversation there is, is a lot easier than with the larger uh, breweries. You, you you pretty much answered the question before I got to ask it. I was going to be like, I was going to ask, what's the conversations like with these owners of breweries where you're telling them, yeah, we're going to use computer vision, we're going to use AI, we're going to count the yeast because you can't do it. Are these guys just telling you, no, do you know what? You guys are full of crap. I don't believe you. We're doing, I'm brewing beer, you know, 30 years. This is what I do. My father done it. My uncle done it. His father done it. So you guys are in your computers, but you're telling me you can do it better than, you know, I guess well, that that's probably something that maybe not now, but in the earlier stages before you had a history of successful customers, that was something you dealt with. Definitely. So, I mean, there, there's a subset of people and it's the minority, but you will never convince to actually take care of the yeast. And those are the very, very traditional pops. Who, like you said, were like, well, my, I've been doing this for three generations in the family and basically I have a psychic connection to the yeast. I don't have to look at it. But uh, those are yeast more whisperers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So they put the hand on the tank and they just feel if everything is going okay. So these we, we will probably never convince, I guess, until maybe the generation after them. <laughs> but those, those are really a minority. 
you are right that it obviously takes a bit to build a reputation. And that's one of the things that took longer than we initially thought it would. And we very early had an external validation made by the VLB. So it's an institute in Berlin that's renowned around the world for, for brewers, uh, who basically showed that we are more accurate than another very popular automated device and showed that we are just as accurate as someone who's been counting on a microscope for 20 years, which is the gold standard, like someone using a microscope who really knows what he's doing and is taking his time, which most breweries don't have the time to do that. So even with that in hand, it took a bit for breweries to really like to earn the trust. But that's always difficult in the beginning. And once you, you crack the first 50 or first 100 customers, it's way easier because then you can just point to someone saying, look, you know that brewer, just ask him or just, I mean, now by now we have a bunch of testimonials on our website, uh, which, which helps a lot. And we do also have the report from the VLB on, on the website as well. Yeah, no, definitely helps. So early doors, let's say you don't have these guys buy-ins, you know, you come into them and say, look, we're going to, we're going to look after this, this problem for you. This is your challenge. Here's what we're going to, we're going to solve it for you. What do you do when you initially get them to agree to come in and say, yeah, you guys can look after this for us. We'll give you, we'll give you a shot. What's the first step in your process? So in general, most of our, our purchases are, are online just because our device is so affordable, which does bring back to the point I mentioned earlier that it has to be really easy to use because there's no on-site training. We do have, have a manual and YouTube videos. And in general, the system is very simple to use. What you do is you, you capture the image so it's an app on a mobile phone. And then depending on if you use our microscope or a retrofitted lab microscope, you plug it into there. Uh, you take the images of the yeast. Then the images are sent to our cloud pl platform, analyzed within seconds. And then the results go back onto the mobile app and are also available from other sources. So you can use a web app or if you're into coding or have some other automation system, you can also pull your own data and integrate it into other stuff. And I guess that's the advantage or also needed if you're, you're selling something very affordable online. It has to be really simple to use. That's, that's basically what we have. And when it comes to, for the brewers, it's basically real time. So it is not real time in the sense that we wouldn't do self-driving cars, but they get their result within like a second or less, depending on internet connection. So for them, that's not a perceivable lack because while they're inputting other stuff about their brew, like the name and everything, it's already the, the analysis is already pending in the background and being downloaded. And then they just have their result. Yeah. Now, just, just, just a quick one on that. Is how do you ensure that they have the right capability to take images that are going to be of good enough quality for use to make an analysis? Is there a step before that or do they have to... They sign up on the website, but they already have the right type of hardware or mobile technology. Yeah. So on, on the mobile front, we, we support most modern Android phones. So it used to be a bit trickier when we started because not every Android phone or fewer supported USB connections. Nowadays, it's the other way around. The ones that don't, there are some around, but those are the exception. So that has gotten easier. And then on the image capture side, initially we only supported our own mobile microscopes, which allowed us to really standardize on how the image was coming in on the hardware side. As we've gotten a bigger set of data and, and just more robust recognition for this specific application, we actually allow customers to use any microscope they have. We do standardize on the camera, but that's a very affordable component. 
and then we can very robustly analyze it. And we do some image recognition on the mobile phone. It's obviously nothing really fancy because you're limited by the computing power. But we do check, like do like an overall quality check of the image and check that it's in focus. And because that's one thing the brewer has to do with any microscope is basically just turn a knob or a wheel until the image is in focus. And we, we show that visually when it's ready to be taken, but we also validate it. And if it's not good enough, we don't even send it to the cloud server. We just on the app side tell them, no, uh, this image is not in focus. Don't use it. Or if there's like way too much yeast, if there's so much yeast in the image that it's stack on, stacked on top of each other, there's also no point in sending it to the cloud and analyzing it. Then we also tell them, look, there's no yeast here. Or, there's too much yeast here. Dilute more. And then you get your, your analytics in pretty much real time for these guys. What, how long would it take for uh, someone who's got 20 years, you know, got that gold standard yeast analysis yeah. as an individual? How long would it take them to do the same analysis? If they're doing it well, uh, like 15 minutes. So you will find brewers who tell you, no, I do it in three. But then if you really compare uh, to, to how they do it, uh, they're, they're making errors that they're not aware of. And this is not something that's specific to brewing. So this is something, I guess, that's specific to manual analysis. And it's something where we also help with any other application. As I mentioned, yeast is like our, our, our starting point only. Uh, but this is something that's true in general. If you have someone do a routine measurement day after day after day, you're going to get faster. But in many ways, they're also going to get more error prone because you get like comfortable and you overestimate your own ability to not do errors. You're just going through these so quick if you have to do them 20 times a day, maybe, that you, you start making mistakes. And now, look, you, you guys, you aren't limited to the yeast analysis industry. That's, that's just where you have come in and, you know, initially made your bread and butter. You have like a three-step process that could, I suppose, do the expert image analysis and automate it for any industry, right? Yeah, basically, it's always the process of acquiring an image. And that can be with our mobile microscope. It can be any microscope. So we've worked also even with electron microscopes or, or stuff that's not even microscopic. The really important part is that it's um, a technical quantitative analysis. So we're not into like detecting dogs or cats. It has to be something where you would need normally an expert for. So that's step one is image acquisition, which can be our device or a different device. Then it goes to our platform for analysis. And then we show the results uh, on the user's device or on a website or a different product. And then there's actually kind of a fourth step, which is since we have all of the data aggregated in the cloud for a particular user, we can do stuff on top of it. So again, moving back to the yeast example, for brewers, typically they mostly care about the yeast when they're starting the fermentation. So for them, really, it's mostly those three steps. But we also have winemakers as our customers. And winemakers, most of the year, they're concerned with basically farming grapes, put it like bluntly or simply. And then they have a couple of weeks a year where they're really concerned with fermentation. And all of the work they've done before is distilled into this one moment where if, if something goes wrong, it's, it's all for waste, or at least you're not getting the full potential of all of the work before. And the issue with winemakers is that since they only have this one shot, an error is, is far more problematic for them. And also they're not that used to fermentation because they're not doing it all year round. And so what we do for winemakers is we also, while they're monitoring their fermentation, they monitor it far more closely and typically measure every day or every two days. 
we use artificial intelligence on the metadata, so on the results, not, not the images themselves, and basically use statistic models uh, to tell them if they're going to have an issue with their fermentation so they can react before it becomes a bigger problem and they, they spoil the quality of the wine. And that's, I guess, an often overlooked advantage of cloud computing that's basically possible because you have the data in, in one space and standardized uh, to, to be able to perform statistic analysis like these. Yeah, that was actually, I was going to ask something similar enough to that. So you also previously mentioned that you provide your users annotation tools to allow them to create an annotation pipeline. But you could, I was also going to ask, could you use that in a way to check the history and then, you know, base the most successful history to, I had, you know, this was our, for example, this was our best batch, this was our best wine, this is what the process looked like in that, you know, maybe month one, month two, month three, or whatever stage of fermentation or yeast production to create a near optimal outcome? Uh, yes. So these are a little bit too, too, too different. So the, the annotation tool we use for basically new partners um, who want to create an image recognition for established process. So we can provide them with this annotation tool, which does like pre-annotation. So it already marks stuff. And then the, the end user, I guess the expert who's been doing it manually or at least knows how it should be done, can correct that and expand upon it. And it's engineered in a way where we can very quickly put that into our continuous integration for, for the image recognition pipeline with some human steps involved, because we'll get to that in a bit, but we, we don't do raw deep learning, and use that to create new image recognitions. And I guess to your second question about using past experience, so for, for the wine example, what we've been doing with the meta-analysis is we worked with academics who have access to a larger trove of data and also did manufactured experiments, I guess, where they like starved uh, the fermentation of some nutrients or messed with the temperature. And we use all of these data to generate the statistical models to warn winemakers, which also depends on what grape and type of wine they're making, which statistical model should be applied if they're going to have a problem with their fermentation. And in the future, this can grow with user data. So if we have enough data where we see something, it was a problem, but the current statistic models did not trigger a warning, then we can look at why and see and refine these over time, which is something that I guess is another advantage of cloud computing. You, you improve over time on the image recognition itself, but, but basically any analysis you do, you can improve over time. And it's something that all our customer base profits from. So. We've had, for the brewing customers who've been around for a long time, and they've seen a ton of improvements on the quality of, of the product or ease of use over time that they did not have to pay for. For them, it's just a service, and it just keeps getting better and better. And then for everyone else in the world, they're just getting better beer, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So Win-win. <laughs> Win-win. Um, <laughs> That's really cool. And then I suppose just about the image recognition, what types of image recognition models go in to Oculus? What ones are you using? Obviously, again, I'm not looking for too many company secrets, but you know, are you just using basic image recognition segmentation models to, to check variants or, or where yeah, is so, the real difference? So with, without going into too much secret sauce, I guess one thing that differentiates us from, from many of the image recognition companies out there, especially the newer ones, is that we do not do raw deep learning. So 
we use the more old school image recognition process, which comes from the expertise of Katya and also Berna, who's one of our other image recognition engineers who've, who've been doing this a long time. Basically, the way you had to do it before there was image, uh, before there was deep learning, which is where it's a, a stepwise process. You basically subtract the background, uh, do segmentation, like separate uh, the particles out, then do feature extraction, where you take different characteristics of the stuff you've isolated, and then use some kind of classificator, which in our case is always deep learning at that stage, to, to sort the images into groups like living yeast, dead yeast, or strained metal, non-strained metal, and so forth, healthy skin cell or immune cell. So that's for a veterinary application we have where we differentiate, we detect basically inflammation and, and dairy cows. And the important thing there is it's, it's you need more engineering know-how, I guess, to, to do a pipeline like that. Uh, and it takes a little bit of skill to know for which step to use which algorithm and when, when one really does profit from deep learning, because sometimes it's also used for the steps before in the pipeline. But what we never do is use it for the entire process. So we never apply raw deep learning on the entire image, which is one of the reasons we need relatively few images to create a working image recognition. So if a partner approaches us or a future partner and says, ah, can you automate this for me? We don't need many images to do a proof of concept image recognition and show them, look, we're now 80 or 90% here. This is what it would look like and way less than if we were just using deep learning. And a lot of that is the process, as I mentioned it, with these stepwise approach to the problem. And then we also have uh, some internal tools that are a bit more secret sauce where we basically bootstrap the data uh, in ways to, to use fewer annotated images to make them more challenging, I guess, and, and see if the pipeline is working without having to record that many different images. Yeah. So do you think, you know, starting off by having standardized hardware and image capturing is difficult and there's extra steps that there are involved with that as an early stage company, you're really starting to see the results of it now that users are able to, you know, quickly able to onboard people, onboard people remotely. And then also one thing that I think does make you very different to other startups is you can just onboard people onto the cloud very quickly. Do you think you're reaping those benefits now as opposed to maybe three, four or five years ago? Uh, yeah, well, I, I guess yes, yes and no. So we did have benefits of that from the very beginning as well, because doing it in a standardized way just makes it easier in the beginning to have a, a really robust and, I guess, intern-proof system. Because you know everyone is using the same microscope. The image is always being recorded on the same sensor, so there are no like quirks from, from the image sensor uh, that is being used. And that makes it easy to relatively quickly get to a point where you can just put it in someone's hand and as long as they're like following basic instructions it will work every time like there's no we have very very few settings in our app that's one of the philosophies we have in the beginning we had basically none over time we've added some so we had to backtrack a little bit on that but it's really minor stuff that you can or can or have to configure in the app so for example, we do now have different units because not, not everyone is as enlightened as us Europeans and uses the SI system or metric system for everything. So we do support barrels and gallons and so forth. But yeah, mostly it's settings free. And then, so look, I suppose we always talk then as well about, you know, the challenges of, of growing a business. You know, you guys are both co-founders. What's the biggest challenges you have found, I suppose, on a non-technical side of things? 
we're, we're trying to establish a computer vision startup company. Yeah. So we mentioned that a little bit, I think, before. So one of the really things, uh, things that was really challenging and really just, I'd say it's not that difficult per se, it just took longer, is to really get a reputation if you're going into a new field. So um, when we started, like no one knew of Oculus. And so the initial customers are really early adopters who, who you just get because they think it's so cool to do that on a, on a phone. And it takes a while to just build a reputation where people have heard about you and then just where, where you have this innate trust and you don't have uh, these, I guess, sales conversations every time where you explain to people, look, we have been externally validated. Yes, I know we're way cheaper than the others, but we're also better. Yes, that does make sense. And uh, these conversations are not happening as much anymore. And if anything, they're happening on a, on a larger level. And most people just go to the store, have heard about us or seen us maybe at a trade fair. So we do, do go, or well, pre-COVID, we did go to trade fairs. And that really just took longer to really establish a reputation. And now for the second field we're moving in, where we're also doing our own product from, from start to bottom in the veterinary field, we can transfer some of the reputation. Because even if you're going into a new field as a, as a company that hasn't been active there, like veterinary medicine, it is different to say, well, we do have a couple of hundred customers in over, over 40 countries than if you're just starting out and like, well, we, we were founded a couple of months ago, which is what, what happened initially <laughs> with these. Yeah, fair. I, look, I know it's, it's probably something that look, people who love technology will get excited about it. You know, if you say, oh, we're an AI company, we're a computer vision company. You know, if you tell someone who's, who's in the veterinary industry, you say, oh, we do computer vision, probably won't know what computer vision is. Um, and it was probably the same when you started going into the breweries. So we, we, we have a computer vision product. What's computer vision? So what's AI? So, do you think it was even harder or it was maybe even just an additional fear that you guys are an AI-forced, computer vision-forced company to establish yourselves? Uh, maybe. <laughs> so sorry for being so vague. So we are a computer vision company, definitely at the core. That's what we do, cloud image recognition. But for each individual application, like the yeast counting, we don't market ourselves mainly as a computer vision company. We market ourselves as someone who's solving their problem, which is counting yeast. And we do have the huge advantage that what we have is, is very easy to visually show. Since it's a quick process and it's something they know about, it's easy to show someone either on a trade fair or in a video, look, you know how you're normally counting yeast or not because it's, it's too hard for you. And look how easy it is, because you can show the entire process in a minute and a half. That makes it easy to show them where the advantage for them is. And then, obviously, image recognition is a part of it. But in the end, what they really care about is getting, getting their yeast numbers. Or, well, in the end, end, what they really care about is the quality of their beer or saving <laughs> cost on yeast. And to break it down on that level for this product is, is relatively simple, uh, because it's just very visual. Also, if you like... Yeah, on, on these startup things, when you're on a stage, we do have the advantage that we can just pull out a microscope out of our pocket and just basically show the process very quickly. So that makes it a bit less abstract, I guess. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, do you think you should have a, a, a competition, get the best yeast counters in the world, and then put Oculus up on a, you know, kind of like AlphaGo <laughs> style competition? We have done some stuff. I don't think we have a video of it up there, but yeah, that's also something where we notice that people really, even if they think they're very quick, 
often they are very quick, but they make way more mistakes than they think they did. Yeah. They say like, no, I can do it in four minutes. You're, you're talking out of your ass when you say 15. Uh, and then, yeah, they do it in four, but with plenty of mistakes. We do. We, we do it. Not real time. Close enough, though. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's really cool. So then moving on, look, the business is always going to be difficult startup challenges. But what about technical? You know, you guys have, have two parts to your product. You have software and you have hardware. Surely it wasn't as plain sailing for, for both. Yeah. So on the hardware side, I guess um, the, the keeping up with demand in the beginning was, was always an issue. And, and hardware for startups in general is, is a risky thing. So we do have uh, VC funding as well. And that is something where you have to just find the good, a good fit with an investor because it's just something that many financing sources are wary of uh, because they know that it's not always easy to scale hardware. I mean, for us, we have the advantage that hardware is really not, it enables it, but it's not at the core of the company. At the core, we're a software company. And luckily, that's also all behind us since we've now moved uh, to injection molding, which scales uh, incredibly well. And on the software side, I guess uh, we were a bit uh, victims of of timing and of how early we started with the cloud computing. And I'm not saying cloud computing wasn't around, but like we started in 2015, basically establishing the, the technology before we founded the company. And at that point, we decided to, to bet on CoreOS and fleet, fleet control is what's used there. So, oh, well, our entire cloud is, I haven't mentioned this, but our entire cloud is, is basically stateless microservice architectures, which scales very easily. So it's all based on Docker. Uh, and the only thing that we can not just that that is storing any data longer than it takes to process it, I guess, is the database. So that makes it very easy to just do more analysis nodes or more distribution nodes, more login nodes, whatever we need. And initially for this technology, we used uh, CoreOS and Fleet, which has actually, I mean, the the big industry standard nowadays is Kubernetes. And Kubernetes was around when we started, but it was way newer than, than CoreOS. And just, it, it won out. So we bet on the wrong horse. We were using this uh, fleet control until in, I guess, beginning of 2017, there was the announcement basically, yeah, we lost the race. We're also switching to Kubernetes and this technology is not going to be developed anymore. I'd love, uh, which... I'd love to run a poll for everyone who listens to this podcast and say, have you heard of CoreOS? Yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess it really depends when they started. So Exactly. Um, I actually looked that up. So CoreOS started in 2013 and Kubernetes started in 2014. And we were setting the technology and basically making decisions about what to use from 2014. We started making some decisions and started establishing it in 2015. Kubernetes was really new at that point, but it just was wildly successful and overtook. I mean, CoreOS, I think they stopped development completely initially. They just switched to using Kubernetes for management of the containers while still CoreOS existed. I don't think it even exists anymore, but I'm not sure. Anyway, that migration was something that was like not on our development or product plans and which took, took quite a bit of work to do and was unexpected. I guess that's one of the disadvantages of doing something really new. Or, yeah, uh, it's definitely an interesting story. <laughs> an interesting and unfortunate story. Uh, I, I can laugh about it now, but it was super frustrating at the time when the announcement came, like, no more development. We're like, oh, ooh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I said I was pl plenty of sleepless nights back then. <laughs> yeah. 
And I guess one other thing I could add to the question about like challenges, and this is like a mix between software and hardware. So just uh, the, the huge explosion in awareness and development on deep learning, which has been obviously to our advantage as well, since we use deep learning. Uh, but I guess it has also sometimes skewed the perspective of people what image recognition can do and how it should be done. So I think in our opinion, and I don't think it should be controversial, but it is sometimes controversial. It's not the correct way to solve everything by throwing more computing power at it. But maybe that's a perception that sometimes exists. Like if you're talking to someone and they say, well, I know someone else, they do deep learning, even though it's for financial data, they can do images too. It's like, uh, yeah, maybe, uh, but probably not. Um, maybe document extraction. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> You know, they're not in there greeting people at cash desk, taking money, counting it and putting it in the safe. <laughs> yeah, but it, it has skewed a little bit because like many people, I guess, underestimate difficulties on doing something really robust. Because with deep learning, if you have enough computing power and you have annotated data, you get to the point where you have something that kind of works also relatively quickly if you throw, if you have this data, right? But you, you run into, I guess, black box problems. But not everyone is aware of the problems. I guess fewer people are aware of the problems than they are aware of the advantages of, of using like raw deep learning. So that's, I guess, a mix between a business and, and tech challenge. Yeah, I think it will really depend on, you'll probably find a lot of it now going into the veterinary space. Everything will have to be certified. You, you won't be allowed to have a black box in that space, I'd say. Yeah, so you, as long as it's certified, I think you could even use it for, for medicinal um, yeah. applications, which is something we, by the way, generally stay away from. But as long as you certify it, I guess you could even use deep learning, though I personally would not want to use it for, for a system because it's then really hard, if it makes a mistake, to debug it and, and fix it, um, other than like throwing even more data at it and more computing power. For the veterinary space, yeah, it's, it's uh, closer to medicine than, I guess, yeast. Uh, but it's not all the way there, which is also why why this is something we're approaching, not like cancer detection or malaria detection, which, well, malaria is something we have internally worked on uh, academically and, and working with blood samples, but it's not something we pursue as a as a business opportunity because of the regulation, mostly. Yeah, you, you kind of need to have a team of doctors <laughs> yeah. in your business if you want to do that. <laughs> For the veterinary application, we do have a veterinary um, doctor in the team. And that's less for regulation and more for understanding the customer and talking to the customer. Because yeah. typically veterinary people really want to talk to other veterinarians. And I mean, for doctors, it would probably be the same. You can build it how you like, but if you give it to a veterinarian and he doesn't like it, he's not <laughs> exactly. going to use it. You've got no product. You've got no market. Exactly. But then other um, disadvantage that, that is important to mention when we're talking about uh, the companies that focus solely on the deep learning approach is that they will need a much bigger set of data to get started. And uh, with our approach, we can also develop software for more niche applications that, not have, that have not been around and that way automate know-how that maybe only one person still has in the world, right? So we are working on, on one project um, that is about uh, identification of beetles. And for some of these beetles, there's maybe one or two experts in the European Union and they're going into, they're retiring soon. So there is no data set that you could feed to a deep learning network, but you could start a, 
a very simple training process the way we the way we do it the way Oli described so we can get started developing an image recognition software based on a small data set and then just keep improving it as the already working product uh, produces more data yeah that's, that's really cool but um Ulrich and Kelly, I think that's that's kind of taking us up here for time. Uh, so for everyone listening, this is the Soda.ai Computer Vision in Production podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Kelly. Today's guests were Ulrich Tillich and Killian Moser, both are co-founders at Oculus. Guys, it was great to have you on the show. Thanks again for having us, Anthony. Yeah, thanks really Anthony. fun. Anytime. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Computer Vision in Production podcast with your host, Anthony Kelly. To make sure you get updates on the latest episodes of the show, make sure you subscribe on your preferred podcast listening app or add me on LinkedIn.